Hello everyone, this is Alex Schiffer, the Missouri beat writer for the Kansas City Star. After an off week, we are back with a Mizzou podcast for you all. I'm alongside Blair Kirkhoff, and we have a lot to dive into today. Uh, we'll get into Mizzou's win over Memphis and its upcoming game against Kentucky on the football field, Jonte Porter's devastating ACL injury and where the basketball team goes from here, and maybe we'll even talk a little Asia Blackwell and see what, uh, what Blair's women's basketball knowledge is like. And I'm owed a trivia question from him, so uh, let's get going. What's going on, Blair? Alex, how you doing, my friend? Uh, I had my first Chiefs game on Sunday, and it was quite memorable, as I'm sure you all know. Yeah, I saw your uh, saw your tweet from uh, from Arrowhead, and um, it looked like you had decent seats. Yeah, it wasn't bad. I spent most of my uh, hundred ten dollars writing off my phone because of the Jonte news, but it was a pretty good game. <laughs> I uh, I have yeah. a question for you. You know, I tweeted all you guys saying that I would trade beer for warmth in the press box, and that tweet got favorited, but never responded to. So, what do I need to do to spice up my offer next time? Uh, let's see. Um, well, uh, the uh, the beer in the press box thing probably isn't isn't going to happen. At least not uh, not from the outside. You've got to be one of those sweet holders uh, to 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 get into one of those taps in the, in the press box. But you know, w- let me know a little bit in advance, and we'll we'll see what we can do to get you to get you in there. Was it was it really that cold sitting in the stands? Uh, it wasn't so much the temperature as it much the temperature on my hands while I was trying to uh, type. So the rest <laughs> yeah, of my body was right. up on my hands wanted to fall off. And typing probably on your phone, as I, as I imagine. Yes, yes, exactly. Thank God for there being a Google Docs app. <laughs> so I guess we can start with Sunday's news. Well, let's go into football later, but Jonathan Porter out for the season for Missouri. We had the scoop on that. Torn ACL and MCL in his right knee in the scrimmage against Southern Illinois. Absolutely devastating blow for Conzo Martin. It's obviously last year they lost his brother Michael Porter to back surgery early in the season. And they were planning to do a ton with John Tay this year in terms of running the offense through him, using him as a point guard. He was just such a dynamic player. And now, you know, it's, it's really tough to figure out what, Missouri does from here because they have nine available scholarship guys right now. KJ Santos is on the shelf with a fractured foot. Maybe they get the two Smith uh, transfers eligible, but those guys are guards. It, it's that you know I had a story yesterday in the paper about where Missouri goes from here, and they, they were more educated guesses than answers. I'm, I'm just curious about your takeaways from the whole thing. Well, um, there's a lot to unpack here. First of all, uh, you, you did have the scoop on that, and that was fantastic. And that's you know, people were asking, maybe wondering what you were doing, typing in the, um, in the in the seats at Arrowhead. That's what you were typing. So um, that, that's, that's such a good deal. Um, and so the news comes out, and uh, and everybody's reaction in the, in the press box at Arrowhead was just um, you know facepalm. It was just like, really, this this can't be this can't be true. Not just not just for um, what it means to the to to Tigers basketball, and it, it means a lot. I mean, we'll we'll talk about that, but also the the whole Porter family and what they've had to deal with in terms of injuries, not only to the you know to the to the Porter guys, but to the Porter gals as well, right? I mean, both of the uh, the daughters have uh, have had to deal with 
with you know serious injuries that curtailed careers and you know Michael last year and and, and now Jante and you know, he he made the decision to made the decision to return this season which um you know which which wasn't uh you know a lighthearted decision he had some serious um uh, considerations here uh for 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 turning pro decides to come back and then and then this happens so um it was uh, the, the reaction around all of basketball you know is uh is one of you know a lot of sympathy toward toward him and and the family and uh I was really looking forward to seeing him play this year he was you know, he, what did he average? Nine, nine, and then six, eight, something like that a year ago. Yeah. But, uh, but he was a guy you could see making that jump to, I don't know, maybe 15, 16 and, and nine or 10 and being the, being the guy that they, they built their own, you know, built their team around, built, built their offense around. And, um, and, and, and now we'll just, we're just not going to see it. And, uh, let's, 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 you know, throw this out here too, is this is, this is a year long recovery. This isn't, don't expect to see him like uh, we talked about Michael Porter all last year, maybe at the end of the season, there's not going to be any of that for, for Jante. It's, this is a 12 month recovery period. And, and then he'll have some more decisions to make uh, in, in, in his, uh, for his future at, at the end of that process. He, when he comes back, he won't be ready to uh, exactly ready to go for, for basketball. There's just going to, there's going to take some, it's going to take some time for him to, to return from this. So I, I don't know what it means for his basketball future. Just, for the immediately immediate Missouri basketball future, it's it's terrible news. Yeah, I actually had looked at Jonte as an All American candidate this year, just because, as you said, I think he could have easily averaged a double double, and then he is just such a block and assist machine. Some games where I think he would have been able to have the numbers to flirt with the triple double. I don't think a quadruple double strikes goal on the college level, but just it would have had the across the board stats to really warrant consideration, and. As you were saying, you know, I, I spoke, I called one NBA scout in the car while I first got tipped off, and the guy comes out of a meeting, goes, I got two minutes, what do you want? I said, this stays here. Jonte Porter tore his ACL, I'm about to break it. What, uh, what do you think of that? And he said, you know, Jonte Porter came back to school for a reason, whether it was for not wanting the NBA lifestyle yet or something to work on in his game, he came back for a reason, and now he doesn't have a chance to really address that reason. So I wonder if he comes back for a third year. And the thing about Jonte that he has the advantage of is that he was originally looked at as a two-year player in college when he was first getting recruited in high school. He was the youngest player, one of them, in college basketball last year. He doesn't turn 19 until next month. So technically, another year in college won't cost him really anything on the age spectrum with NBA teams. But I just think that if, if you're Jonte, you know, you pull – some people have compared him to Nick Bosa, the Ohio State defensive end, and just that he got hurt, he's going to be a top NFL pick, withdraw from school, invest in rehab, and worry, and show people what you're doing on film before the injury, and try to sell that to pro teams and everything. And, and I wouldn't blame him if he were to go that route because, I mean, he'll get the best medical attention in the NBA – and it's a weaker NBA draft, so I still think he could go in the first round, even if it's late first round. And the whole thing is just, as you said, devastating for Missouri. But I don't think you can blame him if he doesn't come back. No, no, you, you, you don't. You, you wouldn't. I mean, it's uh, this. Uh, uh, but but he, I'll go back. He, he's kind of, you know, 
he'll have a decision to make whether to um, uh, go enter, enter the draft then or or in 2020. And and, and uh, we'll, I, I couldn't tell you what the draft's going to look like then. But will um, you know? Will he want to play a, a year, maybe maybe just an abbreviated year of college basketball before before entering the pros? I wonder what what the advice would be at that point. Um, uh, I, I don't know. Uh, it's uh, it's it's a it's a devastating injury to to be sure. And um, and, and uh, you know, like I said, the, the Porters have had to deal with this uh, in, in many times in, in, in the family's uh, history. Yeah, looking at Mizzou basketball now in the immediate future. I mean, I looked at them this year as a bubble team and and kind of go from there. You know, around twenty wins, we'll see what the resume looks like and how they do in the SEC and where the wins come from as to which side they fall of it on. But now, I mean, it's, and again, there's so much we don't know, but, but uh, some quick takeaways from, you know, some people have suggested because Missouri only has really three true front court players in Mitchell Smith, Reed, Nico, and Jeremiah Tillman. I think Jeremiah Tillman staying out of foul trouble now is absolutely imperative to Missouri to keep them on the floor as much as they can. You know, he only averaged 4.1 rebounds last year. Jonte had so much more because he w- he didn't get foul trouble, but that could have easily been Jeremiah. So I think it's paramount for him to stay on the floor this year because they're going to need as much as they can out of him. And some upset about, you know, well, maybe Missouri goes to like a four-out-one-in type of deal like Frank Hates used in his last season in the Big 12, his first at Missouri. And my whole argument against that is I think if this injury happened a year ago and they still had Jordan Barnett and Cassius Robertson on the team, that might have worked. Because that team, even though they only had Ricardo Ratliff, I mean, Marcus Denman, Kim English, and Phil Pressey were all very, and Michael Dixon were all very high-level shooters and passers to where that system was able to work for them. I mean, Missouri's got Jordan Geist who shot 36% from three last year, and that's really it. So... I don't really think they're built for that personnel. I, I think the goal right. this year is if they can make it to the NIT, that's a big deal. Um, I think if they were to somehow make the NCAA tournament, Conzo Martin is the national coach of the year. And, I, I mean, people have talked about well, getting the Smiths. Go ahead. Go ahead. Well, I was going to say, they're, they're going to have to obviously change. It, it, the, the timing of this is so unfortunate because, just as it was a year ago with Michael, you, you, you know, the, the Missouri, you know, Missouri coaches have planned uh, a system. They have coached a system. Uh, they, they knew how they wanted to play, and obviously Shante was going to be the centerpiece of that. And it's not like there is another player on the roster who just slides up into that role. It's you know, as you suggested, they're 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 going to just have to change the way they approach the game, and uh, you know, and, and they're doing it what would you know a couple weeks to go before uh, before the, the first game, which is um, you know not a lot of time. And 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 you're right, you uh, I, I saw that reference to the the 2012 Tigers, and 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 maybe thinking along those lines. And look, in Tillman, they've got a guy who um, who. With, you know, with a little, little more seasoning, a little more polish, could be a, a, a better version of, of who the Tigers had in the middle in, in 2012. But they, this this team isn't. You know, there's too much unproven uh, accuracy on on this team. We just don't know how good the shooters we're going to have. But we know 
experience-wise. That that team had a lot of it. This team doesn't, and uh, and so I, I just think, to me, the, the the player whose role changes is is Kevin per year, right? He's per year is going to have agree. to, you know, he he's going to depending on whether they go with a you know four or five with him and uh, or do they play. Uh, do they do they play small with him? I I, I don't know, but I, I think he's they're they're going to have to rely on him more than maybe they were planning on doing heading into this year. Yeah, I agree. I think that because Jonte was such a dynamic player, you can't really there's not one player you point to and say he's able to kind of make up for his absence. And I think the offense you're going to be missing from Jonte has to be all hands on deck. The rebounding, I think, has to be all hands on deck. I mean, I think you're going to see per year. And per year average double-doubles under Kim Anderson's team. I mean, a lot of games, you know, obviously those teams weren't doing much winning, but it does show that he could rebound at a high level in the college game when needed. So I think that you're going to see him down low a lot trying to help out Tillman. And, I mean, really, you know, we don't know what to make out of K.J. Santos. He's hurt right now, and – it seems like he is a full, you know, no one knows what to expect from him. I've had NBA people tell me that the kid can be a pro if he puts it all together. I've had other people tell me Conzo made a mistake offering him. So we need to see what he can do before we can really talk about him. And, you know, everyone that's keeps quite talking a, about that's this. quite a range there. It, it is a from... gigantic range. That's why I thought it was worth bringing up. Uh, <laughs> yeah. But, um, and even with the Smiths, you know, I don't know what to make. You know, the NCAA, I'm curious for – your take on this because I've had a million. No one seems to be any, know what the NCAA could rule on either the Smiths. You know, Mark Smith left of Illinois. It seems like it wasn't a good fit for him there. And Drew Smith obviously left Evansville for, from a coaching change. And I've had some people tell me that I trust and know the college game and, and the NCAA is working. Some say Drew Smith is the one that has absolutely no case because he left out of a coaching change. Mark Smith, you know, Illinois landed a five-star recruit out of Chicago. Io DeSunmo at the point guard spot. He could talk about being recruited over or pushed out maybe, and Illinois doesn't want a bad look, and maybe they'll let it slide. But Mizzou plays Illinois every year, so I could also see Illinois saying absolutely not. It's I, I truly, if you put a gun to my head, Blair, and said, give me your best guess, and if you're wrong, you're done, I, I'd start packing my bags up to heaven because I have no idea what – to make of the NCAA and the cases the Smiths have. Well, I, I mean, let the I didn't. Um, I, I'm not sure the the justification for uh, for what what might be an exception to to the transfer rules here. I mean, they're pretty cut and dry. You um, if, if you the, you know transfer rules are transfer rules. You, you sit out if you you know unless you transfer a semester and then you sit out a semester. If you if you don't if you transfer at the end of a year you you sit out a year. I, I don't I don't know where the wiggle room is for you know for for either one. So um, uh, you know it's 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 it, it would be nice and expedient if um, you know if if those weren't in play, but they are. Uh, so I, I don't I don't see where. Uh, we're, we're, they're going to get uh, some relief on this. Yeah, and we'll see what happens. You know, Blake Harris who transferred out of Mizzou to NC State. His semester is eligible for the full year now. It seems like the NCAA is kind of handing uh, a little more of these waivers out. Someone at uh, Braxton Key at Virginia just got eligible yesterday immediately from Alabama. Um, 
So no one knows what to expect with that. But, I mean, I think the only, you know, I don't know how much getting either one of them would change the forecast for the season because they have guards. We already knew that. And you're getting some more experience, which this team is lacking. And you're sure. getting maybe that, and that can help offset some of the scoring. But I just think that Condon's going to have to play a lot of small ball because of the lack of bigs he has. And there's going to be games well, where this team's outmatched in the post, and they have to figure out something with it. Yeah, and, and just the player rotation itself would be, you know, it would, would be, it would be helpful to have to have more there. What, what, you know, who, who's you know third, fourth guy off the bench, if, depending on how how deep the rotation goes uh, for Missouri. But I, I'm I'm with you. I, I think that expectations to, for me with Missouri have changed from a borderline NCAA team to not an NCAA team. You know, I, I think that this was, you know, we're looking at maybe um, anywhere from a, an eight, nine seed to an 11. And now uh, someone that, uh, that now a team that uh, will hope to get an NIT home game, uh, you know, be good enough there. You know, it's, it, and, and part of my reasoning is even with Jante, we were looking at what the coaches have ninth, uh, seventh, eighth, eighth or ninth, something like that. And, uh, I, I think the SEC is going to be really good this year, one of the better conferences um, in the in the country, and uh, there, there are not going to be many places on the schedule where you just take a look and say, "Yep, there's you know put, put a W by that one." It's just not going to be that way in the conference this year. Yeah, I agree. I think the challenge is, given how loaded the SEC is this year. I mean, Mizzou was ninth, and if you look at the preseason poll, I think really fourth through tenth is an absolute toss-up. You know, I think Tennessee. Kentucky, Vanderbilt, and Florida are definitely toward the upper part of the conference. But after that, it's really a shakeup as to how everyone finishes. But it, it definitely, Mizzou picked the wrong year to have a, have an injury like this. And I, I think the best-case scenario for Mizzou is that if both Smiths get denied, you know, they landed Trey Jackson out of Sunrise Christian in Wichita, who's like a John Tay that can, Mizzou staff wants him to play the one through five and thinks he's exactly what they want for positionless basketball. I think this year the biggest thing that it could turn into is a transition year for next season when you do get both Smiths, you get some help from the recruits, maybe a grad transfer, a JUCO guy or something with that last scholarship, and really go all in next season when you have probably Tim back for his junior year, both Smiths, a year of, eligible, a year of experience for Torrance Watson and Javon Pickett and guys like that, and really just try to make this season go toward the next one as much as they can. You think um, you think fans will have patience with uh, with that in, in the um, you know what have you what have you done for me lately approach? I, I you know I, maybe with with the Porter injury this changes uh, people's uh, you know at least their mindset a little bit on what to expect from uh, from this year's team. You, you you know maybe maybe they'll be pleasantly surprised, but um, I, I'm thinking. You know, this needs to be a, a try-hard team. You know, sh- show a lot of effort, play a lot of really good defense, win in areas that uh, you know that you that you, you know that show you know a lot of determination, hustle, that sort of thing, and uh, and then sort of let the chips fall where they may offensively, um, and, and maybe maybe you'll, you'll pull out a couple of uh, wins that you might not expect. But I think in the end, this is just going to be a team that will fall short of of where fans had hoped. Uh, going into the season with a, with a healthy roster. Yeah, you know, you talked about fan patience. I was saying something the other day. Conzo just has to win 11 games this year to beat anything Kim Anderson had in his three years. 
And I think even a 500 season, people can't really complain about given what Conzo did last year without Michael Porter Jr. And, and I think part of the problem is is that, you know, because Conzo kind of hitched his wagon onto the Porters when he got the job here, it's almost like he's kind of set himself up for disappointment. You know what I mean? Like they get the top recruit in the nation last year. He gets hurt. Obviously, Conzo can't control that. But he gets the top recruit. They they get out in the first round, and, and obviously they had depth issues and, and injuries and whatnot. But that was underwhelming given what it was supposed to be when they went into the season. And, and this year is going to be the same way. And obviously that, again, Conzo has nothing to do with back surgery or the ACL, but I think that's part of the problem of what he signed up for is that people were expecting it to be a gigantic first couple seasons and then it would be more of a transition, and now you're starting to see more signs of the rebuild here. Yeah, well, I think when you know when the um, when, when the um, porter when, when when the porters were were signed, sealed, delivered, you were the idea at the time was to get three seasons out of them, right? right? One from Michael and two from Jante, and they're going to end up with you know possibly just one and a handful you know and a handful of games. So uh, with one season in the books, they went from a you know a last place team to an NCAA tournament team, and um, you you can you, you can call last year and it was a first out first round bounce out, and you can call that disappointing. But I I think the thirty thousand foot view of that is that was a heck of a job, you know, with uh, under the circumstances uh, to to you know to, to beat Tennessee, to beat Kentucky, to have the you know the regular season that Missouri ended up having. With uh, without you know a first round draft pick available to them for all but the the last handful of games, I, I think that uh, um, maybe uh, maybe I'm looking at it a little too optimistically, but uh, I, I think when uh, when you consider everything that worked against Missouri after it looked like they had everything in place, uh, that that ended up being a successful year for the Tigers, and now uh, but now they're faced with um, again they're they're going to have to. I think overachieve to, um, to 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 satisfy a lot of the fan base this year. No, I, I agree completely. I think Conzo's coaching job was kind of overshadowed nationally last year because Chris Holtman had an unbelievable year. I mean, Rick Barnes' team was picked in the cellar, and he they won the whole thing. Yeah, yep. uh, I I agree. I agree completely on that. I think Conzo would have gotten a lot more recognition had stints like that not happened. Yep. Yep. No doubt. Hey, it's Blair Kirkhoff, and if you're listening to this, you love Kansas City sports, whether it's the Chiefs, Royals, Sporting, Mizzou, KU, or K-State, and no one covers these teams like the Kansas City Star. If you currently subscribe to the paper or have a digital subscription, thank you for your support. And if you don't, here's a great offer. It's called Sports Pass, unlimited digital access to every sports story and video on KansasCity.com. It's just $30 for the first year. It's the best sports value in town. Just eight cents a day or two fifty a month. You can't beat that. Subscribe now at kansascity.com slash sportspass. Transition over to football. Blowout win for Missouri last week against Memphis. You know, it's a, it's a pretty good Memphis team. A, a lot of people have been saying how the week before Memphis lost a heartbreaker to UCF and that that was more their Super Bowl than than uh, Missouri was, and, and the Tigers caught a break because obviously Daryl Henderson 
Memphis tailback enters the game as the nation's leading rusher. Seems like they never fully said this, but the talk in the press box was his hamstring tightened up early in the game, and that's why he left early. But, I mean, Missouri had that one 17-0 run they gave up to Memphis in the second quarter, and then after that it was really just cruise control. I mean, Drew Locke looked like his old self. Uh, the receiving core, Albert O, had a career day with three TDs, 159 yards receiving. Larry Roundtree looked good in the run game. It, it looked like the Missouri offense we'd seen earlier in the year. And the defense, I mean, did enough. They they kind of got, again, I, I kind of gave them an incomplete just because they didn't have to deal with Henderson in, uh, in the backfield. But they, they had two interceptions in the secondary, which is something we haven't seen a lot of this year. The pass rush was active, which we hadn't seen a lot of this year. And they were able to get some stops when Missouri needed them to, when they were able to kind of have this thing wrapped up by halftime. Well, it, you know, I think if anybody just saw the final score, they'd have thought, well, just a, you know, a Drew Locke and Missouri offense at its, at its very best. And, uh, and, and, and let's, it was Memphis. It was a non power five conference opponent um, that was, that really hadn't, you know, even though they had the, the disappointing outcome against Central Florida in the rain the previous week. They still hadn't really beaten anybody. So let's just dis- dismiss that as, um, you know, as a non-conference win. But I think upon a further examination, you mentioned the 17-0 run. It, so that made it 21-17, and Missouri faces a fourth and one from, you tell me, where was the ball at the fourth and one on the? Um, uh, Missouri zone 34. Yes. I mean, that's. And, and and Barry Odom decides to go for it, and and that's a huge moment in in a game that ends up being a uh, a, a blowout. If if they don't make it there, um, no telling how this how, how the feeling of this game changes, the confidence of Memphis grows, and and who knows what might have unfolded then. But I believe it was the you know the they pick up the first down, and and like three snaps later, it's. You know, Missouri's got uh, what two, two, three more touchdowns, and that just turned, you know, turned everything around. So that that game did have a moment of, uh, of you know, if you're a Missouri fan, it had a moment of, uh, you know, biting your your nails a little bit and and wondering what, you know, what's going to happen in this game. Is it going to end up a, a sh- you know, a shootout? I mean, is is Memphis about to take control of this thing? But but all's well and ended well for for the Tigers. They they did pick up the. They picked up the first down, and then and, and then a few moments later, that that game was well on a, well in hand for the Tigers, for Missouri's Tigers. It's funny you say about the fourth down call because I was talking to Vahe in the press box when it happened, who had based a column around it. Should Missouri go five and one the rest of the season, or or six and zero? Oh, you can make a case that that fourth down call is kind of where it started, and where the team kind of where Gary Odom bet on his team and they didn't let him down. So, yeah. I, uh, I I agree with that completely. I think that that call was gigantic. You know, I, it's funny. I think Barry Odom kind of downplayed it after the game when, you know, with it being kind of a trying time for him, I would have, if it were me and I'm a football coach, I would have t- taken any question you wanted about the fourth down call because it, it really did show him kind of growing as a coach. And I don't know if that's a call he makes last year and his first year for sure. No, uh, that, that's right. Um, I, I think you play. You might have, you might play the percentages that way in that case, but I think the percentages favored Missouri this time. When you've got a quarterback who is still, you know, being discussed as a first rounder, and 
Um, and you've got the offense that ended up doing what Missouri's offense did in that game, and we've seen it in other games. Uh, I, I think that reduces the, the risk quotient in, in that scenario. <clears throat> I'm sure that there are uh, that, that there is a, an entire chapter chapter in the playbook devoted to situations like that, and Missouri could have pulled out any n- number of plays to um, you know to, to pick up the first down, and they could have called the right one, and, and, and they got it. And, and while I'm thinking about it, and I know this this is apropos to nothing, but how much better does Missouri's win over Purdue look right now? Um, I know you and I were there, and, and I I remember thinking as, as we were leaving the stadium that night that this is a Purdue team that's absolutely not as bad as its record. They dropped a three and zero that night, and they were going to start beating some people. And they did that right away, and then they just picked up a you know a monster win on on Saturday night against Ohio State. So. Um, and, and just destroyed the Buckeyes. So, uh, you know, I, I remember people thinking a little, being a little disappointed. Missouri had that game in hand and let Purdue get back into it, uh, and then uh, and, and had to win it at, at the gun with a field goal. But gosh, I mean, what Purdue has done since then has been really, really amazing. And I, I, I think we saw the beginning of that that night at, uh, with David Blau and, 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 and their effort against uh, against Mizzou. No, Barry Odom said today at the press conference, he goes, how, like, that win looks very good now, how, doesn't it? Uh, I, I think Rondell Moore, even though this isn't related to the Missouri beat fully, it has already solidified himself as a freshman All-American. He's ridiculous. He looked, he, Ohio State had absolutely no way how to handle him. And Missouri did a decent job against him now in hindsight. And I kind of wonder with, with Purdue, if they had David Blau as their quarterback those first two games and staying and kind of rotating him, yeah, yeah, you know, what, what's, what's their record right now? I mean, that he had his coming out part against Missouri, and then he hasn't really looked back since. So, no, I, I think that win has aged very well for Missouri, and when it comes time, assuming they make a bowl game, I'll do them some favors. For Saturday, Kentucky comes in. It's the best they've been, it looks like, under Mark Stoops, the 12th in the country. Uh, I think – it's worth noting that Kentucky has had some pretty hot starts before under Stoops, and the second half of the year hasn't exactly been their uh, their calling card. But they have Benny Snell, who's probably first-team All-SEC running back this year, um, probably leaves early for the NFL. They don't have much of a pass game at all. I mean, I think they threw for 17 yards against Vanderbilt or some ridiculous stat like that. Completed and three passes in that game. Yes, and Missouri's defense has been pretty good against the run. We said earlier how they got a little bit of a uh, pass because of avoiding Daryl Henderson. And Kentucky's defense has really been what's made this team so good. As as we said, they're limited on offense, but they are, I think, 12th in the country in total defense. They are top two in the conference in total defense, scoring defense, rushing defense, passing defense. They're really good at, at keeping teams from scoring out of the red zone. Josh Allen, their linebacker, looks like an All-American. He's got eight sacks already. He's all over the field. And the knock on Missouri has been that they don't do as well against good defense. The same thing with Barry, uh, with Drew Locke. I was telling Vahe at the Memphis game, I said, you know, and, and he didn't use this in his column, so I'm not totally offended. And, and maybe <laughs> uh, maybe you do if, if it's warranted on Saturday, but I feel like Kentucky and Florida were the two teams before the beginning of the year that we said those should be wins for Missouri, but we haven't seen them yet. Let's see what it looks like. And now they're both good. 
Barry Odom had a chance to beat Georgia and didn't do it. South Carolina isn't as good of a team, but he whipped that. I feel like these are, with the way the schedule is looking the rest of the year, these are Odom's two chances and Drew Locke's two chances to get a win against a ranked team, silence the doubters, and really put Missouri in a chance to finish with eight or nine wins for the rest of the season. Well, no doubt about that. I mean, when when, when you look at the schedule uh, and you back in the preseason, I, I think in the first half of the season you saw a couple of games that looked like they would be kind of toss-up games that that would help define the season, and, and those were at Purdue and South and at South Carolina. Uh, maybe maybe before the season began, you'd have been you might have been happy with a split in those games, which is what happened, but. Um, uh, the fact that, they, that you once you win the first one, you 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 you, you want to sweep them, right? And 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 want to feel much better about uh, you know about the rest of the season. It didn't happen. The South Carolina game was a complete giveaway for the Tigers, and and in uh, a game they absolutely shouldn't have lost. So I, I look at the remaining schedule and I see the same things in the two opponents that you have uh, that you've identified, Kentucky and Florida, as uh, look they're ranked. They're better in the, you know they're obviously way better in the standings right now than Mizzou, which is looking for its first conference victory. And, and Kentucky and Florida, along with Georgia, are all four and one. So, um, uh, but I, I, I you know, it, it's it's odd that you see an unranked team favored by as much as Missouri is against a team that's what are they twelfth or 10, whatever whatever they are. They're twelfth, yeah, twelfth. I mean that's. That's that's kind of eye open. It's really eye opening to see Missouri ranked or, or favored by six over a touchdown over a team that's ranked so far ahead of them. But uh, but I think that's what um, you know. I, I think that's an accurate perception. I with Missouri playing at home with with uh, the, the strengths that uh, that Missouri has, you know, matched up against uh, Kentucky strengths. I, I think home field makes a difference here, and um, I, I think this is. Uh, you know, if we, it, we we always you know come up for themes and and try to frame football games, and that's that's exactly what this is. It's the Drew Lock opportunity game, the one that uh, um, that he needs to in Missouri needs to really take full advantage of. There is an opportunity here to really make a statement. I don't want to take it back into the Heisman conversation. Um, that's not impossible, but um, you know, I, I think um, uh, the, the Heisman's well been locked up by by Tua at Alabama, but. But to be part of the conversation, maybe get an invite to New York. I think with uh, if, if Missouri finishes strong and lots numbers are are, 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 are what they what they were last weekend, um, then then he, he's absolutely got that chance to uh, to be part of the conversation. So it's it, it's big and it's, it's big for so many reasons. But that's and, and that's just one of them. Um, uh, we're not talking. We're unlikely talking about getting back into the SEC race, but. Uh, but to beat a ranked team, which I don't believe Barry Odom has done, uh, and Drew Rock, and to beat beat a team that you, you think is going to finish with a winning record, which in, in in a Power Five conference, we don't think that the, I don't think that's happened either. That's you know that's what's in front of Missouri, and and uh, that's I think that's what the curiosity is, the big curiosity is about this game. I agree. A side story for this game that has the interest of fans, and I'm going to try to get him on the phone. I have, I have a loaded uh, phone slate to today. I have you, Asia Blackwell, this afternoon. Uh, I'm trying to get Jerry Blanton, former chief, Kendall Blanton's father, on the phone, and uh, Kelly Bryant, the Clemson transfer quarterback, who's visiting for Missouri this weekend. 
it's Missouri, Arkansas, and North Carolina, the three main teams for him. You know, I, I give Barry Odom a ton of credit. I mean, when the, the joke with the Zoo fans this whole year has been because they clearly are looking for a graduate transfer quarterback, is that, well, Jalen Hurts is an option, Kelly Bryant's an option, and you kind of look away laughing because those guys have the option of everyone in the country, essentially. And Barry Odom has gotten Bryant on campus for a visit now. So, uh, and Missouri, North Carolina, Arkansas are the three main schools in contention for him. And if you were to tell me this was going to be a thing a couple weeks ago, I would have laughed you off the phone and we would have had a shortened podcast. But <laughs> I, uh, I, I'm curious for your take. You know, obviously Chad Morris, the Arkansas head coach, recruited Brian when he was at Clemson OC. And before he went to SMU, he has a long-standing relationship with him. UNC has very fedora. They have, you know, they've, they've been down a little bit, but were pretty good under him a couple of years ago. My whole thing with Mizzou is that should Brian come, he'd be the starter from the second he stepped on campus. You know, if Albert O skips the NFL draft and comes back a year, I mean, they still bring back Jalen Knox, uh, a couple of the young receivers, all three running backs, barring one of them gets, you know, barring Crockett gets hot late and leaves for the NFL. And they only lose two starters on the offensive line. This is a young defense that they're going to miss Therese Hall, Brandon Lee, and Terry Beckner next year, but there, there's not a lot that leaves the defense. I, I think that there's a lot to like about Missouri in the situation should you want to come here. I, I, I like your argument. I do. Um, uh, I, I like it a lot. And, I, uh, you, you know, of, of the schools that you mentioned, I think North Carolina is the I – w- you know, I, I wouldn't put a lot of – faith in that one. I'm not sure if Larry Fedora is going to be there after after this year. So uh, they're they're having yet another disappointing season. Um, no, I I, I I like I like this thought, and uh, and it's 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 ripe for a, you know that kind of player to come in and 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 you know take over next season. So um, so you know we talk about perception and uh and how important perception is in terms of just how you size up a game but it's it's also important uh for uh the the future of of transfers and where they where they might end up where they you know they they want to come to a place where they they have a chance they, they're going to play and they have the best chance of winning and I, I i like the scenario that you set up for for Missouri next year so who knows let's let, that that would um you know that that'd be pretty cool if it happened yeah, and I mean, Arkansas and North Carolina, I think are the two programs that are kind of in rebuilding mode, as you said, or I don't really what to call North Carolina, because as you said, they've been disappointing, but there's not really any signs of, I don't really see a light being in the tunnel with them right now. Missouri's kind of the school that's not in that situation. And, you know, I thought last the, for next year that without Drew and Emmanuel Hall and a couple of other guys, maybe that they just try to get to a bowl game and claw their way to 6-6. Six and six. You put Kelly Bryant running that offense, you know, maybe they can get seven, eight wins and, and not really show much of a downward step in what was was looked at as a transition year for Barry Odom. We'll see. Uh, we'll, we'll see. It's, um, they, they've got, it's they've early. Got more it's early for sure. More, it's early. Then there's there are more immediate needs right now. And, uh, and, and the, the, the best thing that Missouri can do is to do everything possible to finish this year off strong and, uh, that that begins on Saturday. Yeah, before I let you go and get a prediction out of you, uh, last thing I was going to touch on you with was Asia Blackwell committing to Missouri last night, five-star recruit out of St. Louis for Robin Pinchton. 
daughter of Ernest Blackwell, who I'm sure you covered. Oh yeah. Probably both at the Chiefs and uh, and with Mizzou. Um, top ten player nationally for her. It's it's the biggest recruit Missouri's landed since since Sophie Cunningham committed. And uh, my my whole curiosity is is my whole you know people have said you know Robin Pinchett could leave for another job in a couple years or because she's done so well at Missouri. And I've I've always kind of struggled to wrap my head around that argument because, you know, she already has Missouri as a borderline top ten program nationally, and I mean you're never going to be as good as UConn, Stanford, Tennessee, Notre Dame. You know, there's there's eight schools with some wriggle room for some two or three of them with where you are in women's basketball because you know they always say with college sports your history is what you are. So I and and the schools I just mentioned, I, I don't think Robin Pinchot will really have a shot at those jobs whenever they become open because she has no ties to Tara Vanderveer, the West Coast. She's from Iowa. She has no ties to UConn or Tennessee, of course. And those play, uh, those schools already probably have an idea for who they go in house. You know, of the Midwest schools, Notre Dame. You know, I she's big on her faith and everything. I could kind of see that a little bit, but. That's another one where there's a lineage of, of coaches that kind of came from that tree. And Texas and, and Paul are some of the main Midwest area schools. So I, I, mean, I think that this commitment last night showed that she could get the big in-state recruits that she's missed on in years past, like Nafisha Collier, who's at UConn from St. Louis. And I think that she's kind of built to succeed for as long as she wants in Missouri now. You know, it, it, this is an interesting topic because um, you know, we always think of uh, what we're talking about in terms of football and men's basketball and how to build a, you know, a, a championship level program uh, for Missouri in in a conference that's, you know, that's ridiculously difficult almost you know across the board in, in, in all sports. So. Um, Connecticut wins it 
almost every, and I, I guess those are the two that are up there at the top this year. Uh, but, uh, but there's room, there is room for others who, who, um, you know, who, who commit to it and are, are, you know, want to be good at it. And, uh, and, and this is a, this is a really good sign for Missouri. I would agree. I'm just curious, since I said you had covered Ernest Blackwell before, obviously it was a tragic end for him, but what do you remember about him as a, as a pro athlete? Barry Odom said today that he was one of the most gifted athletes he ever saw play football. I, I do not remember much as a pro. There wasn't um, there wasn't much of a pro career for um, for Ernest Blackwell. His my memories of him were as a were as a were at Missouri, and um, uh, he was he was tough as nails. He was a terrific athlete. In fact, when when I started hearing about his daughter, I couldn't believe uh, that uh, that he had um, uh, that he was as old as he was because it just seems like. Um, you know, it just seemed like just a few years ago he was playing college football, and uh, uh, and and for him to be that old makes me feel really really old. Um, but uh, if she's got if she's got the gene his genes, and she is, uh, and obviously she's uh, she's well on the way to be, being a great athlete. Uh, which wouldn't in her team? Did they win the state last year or? Um, I think so. They came very close if they didn't. They were in the final four. They were in the that. final four, right? Which was they were in Columbia's, yeah. I think. Uh yes. Um but um no, he was um he, he was quite the quite quite the athlete and uh and, and but but again I, I just don't um I just don't remember him as a pro. And I and I know he was with the Chiefs, but I, I just don't remember uh um the, the pro years for uh, for him. Gotcha. Um, fun fact, Casey's star connection to the Blackwell family, our own Toriano Porter played high school basketball with, hey. I forget if it was Ernest's older or younger brother, but he he knows the Blackwells really well, and he played basketball in high school with one of Ernest's brothers. He Toriano knows everybody. Yeah, um, he does. He absolutely does. Um, <laughs> um, yes, that is um, – uh, he knows everybody in St. Louis and Kansas City. That's what's amazing. Yeah, he grew up down the street from Mario McKinney's father. He's he's been bigger for me for source building than than I can do on my own. I just play his name and I'm in the door. Um, <laughs> I just got to start dressing like him. Will I see you Saturday, or am I getting Blair, uh, or am I getting Vahe or Mellinger? We are we are still we're still working that out. Um, but you're going to get one of us. That's for sure. Okay, um, I, I will let you two, you guys to draw straws on that one. I don't know if that was finalized yet. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, all right. So here is you ready for your trivia question? Yes, I was going to say before. Uh, give me my trivia question, then we can end on making prediction. All right. Let's. Uh, this this easy one for you. This is a slam dunk, and it's uh, um, it's, it's SEC related. So uh, uh, Missouri has three all-time wins against Kentucky. And um, and there are so if Missouri ends up winning, it'll give them four wins, and that, that they will join. Kentucky will join Florida, South Carolina, and Tennessee as programs Missouri has defeated four times. Um, not necessarily as SEC opponents, but just all time current SEC opponents that Missouri has defeated all time. That leaves three of three above that group that uh, uh, Missouri has more victories over. Now they don't have to be in the SEC, but just all time. Can you name? I'll give you. I'll make it easy. Give me two of the three opponents that are currently in the SEC 
uh, Missouri has uh, the, the most all-time victories against? I'm going to say South Carolina because they've had I a will, history of them with bowl games. Is that is that one of them? Um, I will when when you when your when your answer is complete, I will tell you if you have if you're correct or not. Okay. So, so, um, so I'm writing down. You have South Carolina. Okay, South Carolina, um, Texas A&M. I think okay. it's one of the Big Twelve days. You sure. have to name three. Yep. I'll give you I'll, if, if you get two of them right, I'll give I'll call it correct. Let me just, I'll put it this way: you're you're one and one right now. Okay. Okay. So I got to hit on this last one. Um, I'm gonna say the last one. Hmm. I don't know why I'm going to say this, but I'm going to say Alabama because I know they played a lot way back in the day, and maybe they got them a couple times. But I don't. I'm not crazy about that answer. But I'm going to no. And and you shouldn't be. So um, uh, in in all time in Missouri football history, they beat A and M seven times. And you're right; it goes back to the uh, Big Twelve days. Mm -hmm. Um, They have defeated six times each. Arkansas. And Ole Miss. So um, ah, I thought about so, those two. Um, so, so it just you know, saw when when Missouri went into the SEC, one of the things that it didn't have was history with a lot of the teams that are going to be playing every year. And this list kind of proves it. They, um, it's going to be another generation or so before you start feeling the, at least to me, feeling like uh, you know these are the uh, the. the the, the the hardy rivals and they're trying to make it work with Arkansas and um and, and I think with you know games like Kentucky where you get two good teams playing this weekend and um Vanderbilt over the years uh it'll it'll feel that way to to younger fans of Missouri but I know to to the old crusty guys like me and and uh, and others it's just uh it's it's going to take some more time before it it feels like uh you know these are the games that you look forward to every year just because of who the opponent is I thought a lot about St. Arkansas because, like South Carolina, Mizzou has some bowl history with them before the crossover. So yeah, that would have been that would. I thought a lot about Ole Miss and Arkansas, but that you don't get you don't get points for that. Real quick, what's your right. game prediction? Well, um, I'm I'm going with the Tigers. Uh, I, I just am. I you know your last impressions are always um, you know you always feel good about them. And, and, uh, I, I like what I saw after, you know, after, after they picked up the fourth down, um, this is a big, big game for Kentucky though. I was reading some Kentucky stuff and, and they're, they, this is big. They, they love what's going on so far this season. They're, they've already, they're, they're already bowl eligible. They think, uh, um, uh, they're in line for a nice bowl game. They're in the hunt for the sec division title, but, uh, they they're not 100 percent sure about their team, so uh, I think there's. Uh, I, I don't want to say Kentucky's been a mirage, but I, I don't think this is a team that's going to win the, the, the win the East Division. And I think their um, the, the, their season's going to end up with three or two or three loss three losses, maybe four. They got Georgia the week after this. I, I think this is a uh, I think this is a Missouri win. Uh, they find a way to get it done against the Kentucky defense. So I'm thinking something like. Uh, 33-21, Missouri. I, I'm not too far off. I think I don't want to predict a lot with the wideouts of who they are going to have and who they're not. 
Uh, obviously, we root for the story. I think it would be an unbelievable story if Emmanuel Hall came back after losing his father and had a great second half to help them get hot. Um, I, I think that Kentucky's offense is too limited to rely on the run. And if Missouri's able to shut down Benny Snell, they could maybe make it get pretty gory just because of the way their offense is and the limitations of Kentucky's own offense. So I, I'm going to say 37-24 Missouri just because I think it won't be as close as people might think. And also, you know, Missouri got a little hose at the end of last year's game with the runoff with the ref. Jamal Moore got the ball knocked out, and that really right, caught right. a deep shot. And, uh, you know, some Missouri players have said that we're not really thinking about that. Others have said that it's very fresh in their minds that they they didn't make enough plays, but they didn't get a real chance to to see if they could win it. And uh, I think actually, you know what? So I think that they're going to really have some motivation between everything going into this game of the of a ranked team at home. It's Kentucky and not not a regular power like Georgia or Florida. I, I think the opportunity is too too much for So I think I, I agree with you on Missouri. So the season um, season turns positive for the Tigers after the uh, after the three game losing. I tell you what, though, if Missouri loses this game, um, I, I don't I don't know what to think. I, I just don't. I it would be a, I, I don't know if colossal is the right word, but it'll be a major disappointment for the Tigers if if they don't come out with a win this weekend. I agree. To kind of give a spark notes version, I think win and eight and four and nine and three are on the table, and that shows that eight and four shows improvement. Nine and three, Utah contract extension. I think lose, and you're looking at seven and five, and a very similar resume to last year's game, last year's season. Not enough to fire Barry and not enough to feel tremendously optimistic going forward either. So I think this win has a lot of implications for, for Odom and how they'll finish out and what that can mean for him. Uh, we went long today, but we had a lot to talk about. So, he's Blair Kirkhoff. I'm Alex Schiffer. Thank you for joining us, and we'll be back next week to talk everything uh, from Saturday's game and looking ahead to my first trip to the Swamp. <laughs>